Hi, friends. Welcome back to Have You Met Her, a podcast about amazing women. I'm Paige, and I'm digging into the lives of some lesser-known women in history and then sharing some of their stories with you. First of all, I want to acknowledge a mistake that I made in last week's episode. When I was talking about Pretty Shield, I said that she was born in 1956. Obviously, this was incorrect. She was actually born in 1856. I was so upset that I hadn't caught the error during editing and previewing, but I wanted to acknowledge the mistake here. I'll be going back to correct it on the episode, but for those of you who heard it, I'm really sorry. I try really hard to research and share the most accurate information, but I'm also an imperfect person. Luckily, however embarrassing these mistakes are, I rarely make the same mistake twice, so thank you for your patience and your grace with me. As a reminder, November is Native American Heritage Month, and I wanted to take the opportunity to celebrate the culture, traditions, history, and contributions of Native American women. Native Americans make up about 2.5% of the total U.S. population. While this number is small, the history and contributions of Native Americans are a critically important part of the U.S. history. Native Americans have beautiful, rich culture that has often been dismissed, ignored, or diminished. With that in mind, I wanted our episodes this month to share the true, complicated, and beautiful, strong stories of Native American women that highlight their unique accomplishments. I also wanted to make sure and share some action items for those listeners who are looking for ways to grow their understanding and uplift the Native American community. Please listen through to the end after our story for this week's call to action. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about a notable and celebrated artist who used a number of different tools and mediums to create her art. Her work has been featured on Canadian stamps and coins, and certain prints may even look a little familiar to you. She is considered to be the most renowned Inuit artist ever. We're going north into the Arctic for this week's episode, so bundle up. Here's episode 37, Have You Met Kanyuak Ashavak? Kanyawak was an Inuit person. The Inuits were a group of indigenous people of Arctic and subarctic regions, including Greenland, Arctic Canada, northern and southwestern Alaska, and the far east region of what used to be Russia. Before outsiders knew better, this group of people was often referred to as Eskimo. A word in Inuit that sounds similar translates to the eaters of raw fish, and the word Eskimo itself has come to be a pejorative term, highly offensive to some. Instead, Inuit, which translates to mean the human beings or the people, is a wonderfully welcomed, all-encompassing term for indigenous people in the areas where our story takes place. 
The Inuit people call home to cold, snowy parts of the world that few of us could comfortably survive in. For hundreds of years, the Inuit were self-sufficient and lived in small, autonomous, nomadic groups that traveled seasonally in pursuit of food. Hunting for caribou, fishing, and gathering fulfilled all of their physical needs. Inuit spirituality centered upon beliefs in animal and human life spirits, including the spirits of deceased loved ones. The Aurora Borealis, more commonly known as the Northern Lights, was a powerful magic presence in the lives of the Inuit. Kenuak was born in an igloo in an Inuit camp on October 3, 1927. Her father was a kind and benevolent man who had a special connection to the spiritual world. He was a hunter and a fur trader who could predict weather, assess whether a hunting season would be good or not, draw fish to the surface of the sea so that they were easier to catch, and it was even said that he could turn himself into a walrus. Kenyawak's mother named her after her maternal grandfather, who had passed away prior to her birth in an Inuit naming tradition that was said to pass the love and respect from the family member to the new baby. Kenyawak was born during a time of transition for the Inuit people. They were coming into more and more contact with those outside of their beliefs. Fur traders and gold miners were seen, and the Inuit people began to adapt and shift from subsistence harvesting, taking only what was needed, to focusing on trapping fur for trade. In this way, the Inuit people gained access to new items like rifles, tea, tobacco, even flour. Trading posts grew into villages and towns, which brought in new religious beliefs and a type of law enforcement. When Kenyawak was just six years old, her father got into an argument with a group of Christian converts and was murdered. Her mother took her three children and moved into her own mother's home. Kenyawak's grandmother taught her traditional Inuit crafts like sewing, and she encouraged her creativity. The sealskin applique bags and crafts were sometimes sold or traded for food for the family. In the Inuit language, there is no word for art. The closest phrase was the process of turning something real into something unreal. There may not have been a word for what was growing in Kenyawak's heart, but real creativity, imagination, and creation doesn't necessarily need a word. When Kenyawak was 19 years old, her mother and stepfather arranged a marriage for her to a local Inuit hunter named Johnny Bo Ashabak. Kenyawak wasn't exactly thrilled. She didn't know Johnny Bo and playfully would throw pebbles at him whenever he came to talk to her. Her resistance didn't mean much, and the young couple were married. Quickly, though, Kenyawak saw the kindness in Johnny Bo and grew to love him very much. Johnny Bo was also a creative spirit and a celebrated artist. In 1950, when Kenyawak was 23 years old, a public health nurse came to their village of Ikirasak. 
While the Inuits had their own traditions of healing illnesses and treating injuries, the increased number of non-Inuits brought Western medicine. While not much information was shared or understood by the Inuit community, they did participate in illness screenings. It was during a community screening that Kanyuak tested positive for tuberculosis. A terribly contagious disease, Kenyuak was sent against her will to Park Savard Hospital in Quebec City for isolation and treatment. When she was first diagnosed, she had recently given birth to a baby, and when she was sent away, the newborn was given to another family to raise. Kenyuak would remain in the hospital for over three years. During her stay, her other two young children would die from eating rotten walrus meat. When Kanyuak received the news, she wanted to die too. She was instead forced to mourn alone. While she clearly had no bodily autonomy during her stay, Kanyuak was given the tools to grow her creativity in a new way, paper and pencils. Kenyuak at first demurred and say that drawing was a man's business. Whether it was creativity bubbling below the surface, sadness from her mourning, or boredom, eventually she began experimenting. Soon, the sheets of paper that she was given were filled with pencil sketches. She also learned to make dolls and do beadwork while she was in Quebec City. Upon her release from the hospital in 1955, Kanyuak and Johnny Bo moved to Cape Dorset, an Inuit town on Dorset Island on the southern tip of Baffin Island, now known as Kingate. It was a creative town where traditional Inuit culture blended beautifully with the unique and creative designs that Inuit people were creating. Drawings, prints, carvings, Everyone was creative and finding new ways and techniques to advance their artistry. James Houston, a Canadian artist, and his wife Anna had moved to Cape Dorset and become fascinated by Inuit arts and crafts. Kanyuak and Johnny Bow, along with other local artists, learned the process of printmaking from the Houstons. The West Baffin Cooperative was formed, a group of artists who worked together to produce a variety of art, each with a hand in the process. Printmaking at West Baffin consisted of artists drawing the images. Then, the image would be copied and carved into stone or ivory. Or rather, the empty spaces in the art would be carved away. This process, called scrimshaw, was a cultural tradition of the Inuit community. Ink would then be rolled onto what acted as a large stamp, and thin, almost transparent paper was placed on the ink. Kenyuak's early drawings had simple, bold forms that lent themselves as perfect projects to be printed. Much of her artwork at first featured birds and animals that were metamorphosing into one another. The piece that rocketed Kenyuak into the public eye was a 1958 picture that she called Rabbit Eating Seaweed. 
It's a beautifully simplistic creation with teal blue shapes on a white background. Christine Lalonde, an expert on Inuit art with the National Gallery of Canada, said of Kenyawak's art. She had her own sense of design. She was willing to let the pencil go because she had the hand and eye coordination to make the image she already had in her head. Her first pieces were simple, pencil on pulp paper. But you can see, even then, how confident and sure her line was as she was making the curves and the lines. When you see her, you realize that she doesn't use an eraser. She just sits down and she starts to draw. The confidence that Kenjiwak had when she was creating allowed for confident, bold prints. Very graphic art. Her print from 1960, titled The Enchanted Owl, is a personal favorite of mine. And it would, in 1970, be chosen by the Canada Post to be placed on postage stamps to commemorate the centennial of the Northwest Territories. People in the art world were noticing Kenjiwak, and in 1963, a National Film Board short documentary was made about her. It was called Eskimo Artist Kenyuak. Director John Feeney suggested using the term Inuit in place of the offensive Eskimo, but his suggestion was rejected because it was thought that non-Inuit audiences wouldn't be familiar with the designation. The 20-minute film shows Kenyuak and her family traveling by dog sled, making camp in the isolated snow, and then traveling to Cape Dorset. Then, the film shows some of the process of Kenyuak creating art and working with others to create prints. My favorite part of the film was when Kenyuak sat and watched the shadow print of her work being made. Once it was done, she uses a stamp with her name, a stamp with the name of the carver, and the stamp that symbolizes their cooperative to sign the print. The film was nominated for an Oscar in 1964. I'll post a link to the movie that's available on YouTube in the show notes if you are interested in watching it. With the money that Kenyuak earned from participating in the film, Johnny Boat bought a canoe. This allowed him better options to successfully hunt for his family. Kenyuak continued to create art. As her confidence grew, her imagination did too. Her pictures became more detailed and more colorful. Two of my favorite are Owl's Treasure, which is a purple, red, and blue print featuring a large owl in the center that's surrounded by four ravens with six smaller owls bordering at the top and the bottom. My other favorite is a print called Six Part Harmony. It's a colorful collection of six animals who appear to be singing. In her personal life, Kenyuak experienced the death of two husbands and seven children. Her art allowed her to express feelings that she didn't have words for. Although she lost many children, her surviving children had kids of her own. Kenyuak was proud that her gift of drawings would help provide for them. She said, it's not just art, it's something for my life and that of my family. 
That passionate artist with a cheery disposition despite everything was also humble. She never bragged about her work, worried about appearing arrogant, and she always said that she was thankful for the fact that she was given this gift. When Kenyuak was asked about her work and to describe it, she said, I just take these things out of my thoughts and out of my imagination, and I don't really give any weight to the idea of its being an image of something. I'm just concentrating on placing it down on paper in a way that's pleasing to my own eye, whether it has anything to do with the subject or not. I have always tried to make my images, and this is how I do it, that same way today. In 1982, Kanyuak was appointed a champion of the Order of Canada. In 1981, she received an honorary doctorate from Queen's University, and the following year she was awarded an honorary doctorate from the University of Toronto. In 1999, one of her prints called Red Owl was selected to be featured on the Royal Canadian Mint's Millennial Quarter Series. Her initials in Inukutut, her native language, were left on the design. This was the first time that Inukutut had appeared on coinage in circulation. In 2001, Kenyuak was inducted into Canada's Hall of Fame, the first Inuit artist to receive this honor. In 2004, Kenyuak designed a stained glass window for a chapel at Appleby College in Oakville, Ontario. The window is blue with a white owl and an arctic char, that's a fish, below it in the water. She said that her design was inspired by stories of Jesus feeding large crowds with only two fish and the fact that in the Inuit community, food is always shared. Kanyuak would travel all over the world to see her art displayed and let people celebrate her, but she was always relieved when she could return to the Arctic, her community, and her family. Those pillars were always more important to her than fame. Even in her final years, Kanyuak practiced her art. Her style paid homage to her beginnings, reflecting flowing, simplistic designs, Reflective of the aurora borealis and fantastical creatures with familiar features. She drew the land, the spirits of the birds and the animals. They called to her soul and guided her hand. She was connected to them all because, as she said, her spirit was a dancing, happy owl. Kenyuak died on January 8, 2013. I chose to share Kenyuak Ashavak's story because one way to learn about and appreciate Native American culture is through their art. Indigenous art is more than just an image. It has an author, a personal story, and something to say. Kenyuak showed what the influences were in her Inuit life by representing depictions in her artwork. For me, Looking at her pieces makes me smile. They're whimsical and beautiful, otherworldly, 
but strong. I have tried my best to use language that is acceptable to everyone, especially our Native American friends, but I'm always open to learning and growing, so if you notice an instance where I could have done better, please reach out. To research today's episode, I read The Inuit Way, A Guide to Inuit Culture from the Pactuit Inuit Women of Canada. I read the book We Are Artists, Women Who Made Their Mark on the World by Carrie Herbert and the article Celebrating Indigenous Art from Danovation Technologies Corp. I read articles about Kenyuak Ashavak from the Inuit Art Foundation, Artnet, and the Inuit Gallery of Vancouver. I watched the documentary called Eskimo Artist Kanyuak that was remastered and shared on YouTube by the National Film Board. As promised, I want to share with you a call to action. Since our subject today was an amazing Indigenous women artist, I wanted to share with you some of the ways to grow in your understanding and appreciation of Native artwork. The Denver Art Museum, which was one of the first art museums in the U.S. to collect indigenous art, has two collections available to view online as of November 2023. Indigenous Arts of North American Galleries and the Northwest Coast and Alaska Native Art Galleries are interesting to view online. I'll include both of those links and the link to the site in the show notes. I also wanted to talk about how important it is to respect Native art and how detrimental and offensive it is to either copy or buy inauthentic art or mass-produced images of art where the Indigenous artist is not compensated for their work. I know that souvenirs of totems, beaded jewelry, and images can be purchased from big box and retail chain shops. Just remember, that those are mass-produced and lack the integrity of a true piece of Indigenous art created by a Native artist. If you are in the market for unique Indigenous works of art, please do some research. You will definitely spend more, but you will know that your money is going to support an Indigenous artisan. By learning about Indigenous artists and authentic artwork, We are acknowledging and paying tribute to the histories and cultures that came before us. Please take a minute to rate the podcast if you're enjoying it. Writing a few sentences about your favorite episode really does help make the podcast more visible for people like you who may enjoy it. Please continue sharing this podcast with your friends. If you have an idea for a theme that you'd like to explore with me or a specific woman that you want to make sure is on the list, please email me at haveyoumetherpodcast at gmail.com. Please visit our Instagram page at haveyoumetherpodcast to see some images of Kenyuak Oshawak and her artwork. This episode was one of the times where I wish that podcasting was a visual medium so that I could share her artwork with you. I hope that you'll check out Kenyuak's post to see some of my favorites. You can also check out pictures of all the women that we've talked about during the previous episodes. You may have noticed that I have started to upload pictures of each of our women to the episodes so that you can actually see them when you play their episodes if you listen on certain podcast platforms. I always share who our amazing woman will be early on Instagram, so follow the show there for that insider scoop. 
don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform that you're using so that you never miss an episode. I'll see you next week.